everyone, and welcome back to the next episode of the Sports Pro Stream Time Podcast. My name is Chris Stone, the community lead at Sports Pro Media, joined as always by our CEO, Nick Meacham. So Nick, today is a, an exciting episode, um, some might call provocative, but we're going to go through and do a session that you and I delivered in Madrid, which is our power rankings. Now, we did two power rankings. We did one that was sort of broadcasters and platforms, and we also did what we're going to discuss today, which is around rights holders and their D2C strategy. And this is something you and I, you know, just to give people context, it started with us going on a whiteboard in our office. And I counted down between you and I, we were originally going to call them winners and losers, which felt a bit harsh. Um, but we wrote out close to 90 organizations across these power rankings. So it's taken us about three months to kind of consolidate a list. But we felt, you know, everyone loves a good rankings. Um, and obviously, this is a podcast. But when we do release this podcast, we'll see if Nick and I are brave enough to actually post the images of our power rankings so you can look at them side by side while you're listening. Gosh, 90, 90 properties. Wow, that is a lot. That is an awful lot. I didn't realize there were that many. Um, yeah, and I've already heard back quite a bit of feedback about that, that, that um, since I did we did that session in Madrid. So uh, I think if we publish it to thousands and thousands of people online, we'll probably get more of a reaction. Um, but anyway, that's part of the fun of this. Uh, we have to be careful um, and smart at the same time. But this is a bit of fun, right? This isn't a, a science. This is a bit more subjective. Uh, and as you'll probably learn as we talk, we've taken a few different angles at this. It's absolutely subjective. And I think one of the things we came down to, you know, we mentioned we had 90 different properties on this list. So anyone that's being mentioned in this list, you know, there are power rankings. If you go to power rankings for fantasy sports or power rankings for your NFL teams, like if you're in the power rankings, it's still good. We don't usually do power rankings for the teams that are in the relegation zone. We do power rankings for the teams that are looking at Champions League spots and things like that. So even if, you know, you're not in the top tier, like just even be on the list is still a good thing. And I think just for some context, we put things into four different uh, brackets of what we put them in. Uh, the first one was love it, pretty self-explanatory, followed by like it. Then we had mixed emotions where there's things that are kind of on both ends of the spectrum that we like and some things we need to see worked out. And then the last one is juries out, which is kind of what it sounds like, which is there's just not enough information there for us to, to fully um, flesh it out. But the, the hope is, the plan is we'll do this again in 2023. And we'll be able to see some movement to see how things went through there. But just wanted to give everybody a bit of an idea of how we sort of bucketed these. And, you know, the very first one, like I said, is love it. We won't spend too much on these because they're probably people that, you know, we've covered in multiple podcasts. So you can probably guess why we love them. But the ones that you and I, and for people's, I guess, traditional context, we both made a list. We didn't consult each other on this list. We just did it. But you and I do have similar properties in the love list, which include the NBA, WWE, the PGA Tour, and UFC Fight Pass. Those four are both ones that we ranked in the love list. And I don't know if there's anything in particular you want to talk about those four, but, you know, they're all doing pretty well. Yeah, just, just quickly. I mean, we covered, have covered the, the NBA at quite a bit of length, so I probably won't talk too much about them. There's a lot of love across the industry for what they do, and I think we're on board with a lot of their strategy to date. Uh, the WWE one, I think, was interesting that we both agreed on that, um, but the main, I think the main logic there is really built around what they did in the US with wrapping, um, you know, winding up their OTT offering in the US and, and shifting it into Peacock. They ended up getting a much bigger return on revenue from their content and growing their audiences to be much bigger because of the Peacock uh, distribution uh, as a platform. 
so bigger audiences and more revenue what's not to like basically um so i'm i'm simplifying it but that's a pretty big pretty big win and i'd expect to see more follow to follow them and nba and wwe are really trendsetters i suppose across this across this industry and pga tour what i've liked about the pga tour is you know for some people would argue where golf sits in terms of being uh, in a status of like as a top tier or a mainstream sport or does it compete with the NFLs or the NBAs and so forth. And they have done an incredible job over the years of generating uh, huge revenues from their media rights, um, uh, from all sorts of different markets and from organizations. And I think that's that's really to be applauded, what they've been able to do, the different types of partners and, and the relationships where they have with broadcasters. Um, so I think they've, they've just sort of made a case for you don't need to be necessarily – the, the NFL or the NBA to be able to generate significant revenues for a sport like they do, which considering it's, it's over four days, typically in its format, you know, it's, there are some tempo moments, but actually it's really impressive what they've been able to do with that. Um, so fair play, fair play to the PGA for what they've been able to build from a media strategy perspective. Um, so yeah, lots of light between those three in my view. Well, one of the ones that I had in my love list, but then you had in your mixed emotions list is the NFL. Now, I will admit part of this, I'm biased. I'm American. I love the NFL. Nothing more I enjoy than being on a Sunday watching the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, I put them in my love list, Nick, because I do think what they're doing internationally is really great with their NFL Game Pass offering. And although there have been some some bumps in the road, you know, they're doing things with Amazon and what they're doing with their exclusive streaming on Thursday Night Football, I think is a positive step forward. Although the NFL Plus app is, you know, had a few question marks raised about it. You know, they are trying to expand what they're doing from a streaming perspective on, you know, mobile devices. And part of it's a little bit speculative in the sense of there may be Apple coming into even further doing what they're from a streaming perspective. So you know, for me, I have the NFL in the love list. You've got them in the mixed emotions list. So maybe, you know, kind of figuring out where, where your mixed emotions are on that. Yeah, I'm, uh, I, I, there's a lot to like about what they do. And if you think about the fact they've only got 17 or 18 weeks in, in their season to generate the income they have around their games, it's just extraordinary. It just it is really extraordinary. If you compare put it alongside what the NBA has to do to generate the, the billions that they do it's um it's super impressive work so a lot to love about the nfl and its approach however um what i don't like is i'm not necessarily sold that this this new nfl plus initiative is really a win for them i feel like it's kind of a halfway house that either we're going to see something else happen with those rights in the near future maybe be wrapped up in another deal with someone else that comes to the table um they haven't had a successful launch and start to that um, that initiative. You know, they had some challenges with the delivery because they're doing a lot of that themselves from what I understand. Um, so I'm not too sure about that part of it. The, the Amazon and the Thursday Night Football, I think, has been by and large as successful as you could hope. I'm still not sure from the NFL's perspective if it is the right move when we spoke when i spoke to um blake stukin from um, the nfl he talked about reach revenue strategic value of um any deal that they look at or any initiative obviously the, the revenue generated from the amazon deal was pretty significant and more significant they would have got from other broadcasters is it best for the game to be on a, a streaming dedicated platform whether it's amazon or others 
I'm not not quite sure it's, that's a home run for them. But you've got to choose when you go for the big check and, and choose when you go for audience scale. Um, so I can see why they did it. I'm not necessarily saying it's a bad move, but there's always questions about whether going to streaming dedicated is really, or, or near streaming dedicated is, is really right move when you've got such a platform like the NFL do. So there's a couple of reasons why I have them in the mixed emotions. There's some stuff to like. The, the revenue they generate is incredible, but I'm not quite sold on some of those particular moves as to be a, a real love it move. I, I kind of find them a bit more of a question mark for me than, than anything else. And finally, I would add the latest deal with – you might have seen the coverage on that there. The fact that they had some betting, they they live streamed some matches uh, through low latency through betting partners, uh, which was actually through the genius sports relationship around the data and streaming side, which sort of flew under the radar. They did it on the quiet. I actually do really like that move. That's quite an interesting one to see where that goes. So is that leaning on the fact that their mobile rights were more freely available? I'm not sure. Um, so if I did this again, I'd probably maybe shift the NFL up a smidge high just because that was a new, what do you call it, like a new layer to this this situation where they've got now flexibility to be a bit crafty with what they do with their with their rights. And they've, they've already started doing that by working with some betting partners on an ad hoc basis, which is a whole new sort of world for them. Well, don't worry, Nick. You're going to get to do this list again in about 10, 11 months' time. So uh, we can we can have them down as a mover, potentially, seeing what else happens or if, you know, the Apple deal or whoever Sunday NFL ticket goes to. But moving into the Like It tier, this is where you and I start to have some more differences. Now, it's probably worth mentioning um, to the organizations that we both have listed in there are the IPL, the Indian Premier League, um, as well as the DFL. Um, DFL obviously have done a lot of great things, although there's a bit of a transition period going through their leadership. And then the IPL, I mean, just some of the numbers that are around there, both with just the linear deal as well as the, the digital streaming deal. I mean, they're pretty staggering the money there. So I don't think there, there's a ton of need for explanation, you know, kind of where they're in that like list. I think what's interesting is sort of where we start to, to differentiate. Now, you have Formula One in the like it list where I have them in the mixed emotions list. I think for me, this is kind of a little bit off the back of our conversation with Ian Holmes. And for me, one of the things I like about the NFL game pass is it is catering to me as a hardcore fan. And it gives me a lot of things as a hardcore audience. And part of the way the F1 deals are structured, at least my understanding of them, particularly with sky sports, um, you know, in Europe, it seems like some of that really hardcore content sits on the F1 TV platform that you can't get because of the rights deals in the UK. And, I don't know, Nick, that's just enough for me to have mixed emotions to think that there's some really great content there that, you know, you just legally can't get access to. Mm. Yeah, uh, it, it does raise some question marks. And that's probably why it's in my like it versus love it. So I've just sort of scaled it probably a bit differently, but with a similar logic. I do really like the way the Formula One have been able to get someone like Sky on as a partner. Like it's it's quite a deep partnership and they're, they go really both all in with it to try and get most value out of it because it works for both sides. You know, the sky's generating huge subscription numbers off the back of that relationship. Um, and formula one, get a massive check off the back of it. Uh, and also sky support that relationship with, you know, creating a whole raft of other content to keep F1 front and center, um, in, you know, formula one fans and, and sports fans lives. Um, I, would love it if they didn't if they had that what would you call it, that hyper that that super passionate f1 fan which there are a lot of them 
uh, in markets like the UK, they had access to that F1 TV Plus product because uh, or F1 TV Pro, I think it might be, um, because it's really, from everything I've heard, it's a really good product. And at the moment, you can't get access to some of those things that you would if you were in other markets. And that really does irk me a bit. But it's not enough to say, look, hey, the move that I love the fact they went with ESPN uh, and they doubled down and try to continue to grow audiences and scale in the US. Um, I like the growth they've had across the different markets. The F1 TV product is well respected and well regarded globally. Uh, and their they, they, they growth across social media is just continuing to go from strength to strength, um, not only with Drive to Survive, but just the investment they've made into digital. So there is just a lot to like of what, what they are doing on that side of things. And you think about where they were, you know, we obviously had Ian Holmes on the podcast a few months back now, to where they were, to where they are, it is an incredible rise uh, to get themselves into this position. So fair play to them, in my view. So one of the other companies that you have in your like list, I've got in my jury's out list, which is sort of the bottom tier, which isn't actually saying it's bad. It's just I can't make a decision on it yet. You've got FIFA Plus already in the like it tier. Um, it's obviously been a quite a recent launch, um, obviously very tentpole moment with the World Cup, although they don't necessarily, you know, have, they have limited rights as to what they can show there. But, you know, what makes you confident enough already to kind of catapult them using a big bold word there into the like it tier as opposed to myself who's still in the jury's out it's very dramatic isn't it catapult <laughs> them into the like it yeah. list um well what i like is the approach i like the concept i like the fact that they are trying to create a one-stop shop they're trying to create a home where fantasy and news and highlights and the live live matches sit in there i like the fact that they've wrapped what's the number 40,000 plus live matches a, a year, I think is the number, whatever it is. It's a lot of matches are all going to be available on this platform. It becomes the, the one-stop shop, so to speak for, for one-stop shops, a bit dramatic as well, actually a, a major destination and a major hub. I think hub is probably the better word for, for live football to be available, particularly for those lower tier sports proper, lower tier football leagues and um, nations that would never get a chance to be viewed in other markets. They now have a place to do so. Um, so there's a lot, there's a lot to like in there. They are, I think if I remember correctly, the deal is they are actually broadcasting live in Brazil. The world cup is on FIFA plus, which is a huge moment for that. They're actually going to take the world cup onto the platform for the first time. Um, so there is a lot I, I really like about it. What I would love it um, if we had a bit more detail on on it, and I would love it more if I didn't think, I think that the expectations for this platform might be a challenge to reach because I've heard some pretty big numbers shared around about the, how big their audiences they expect to be and um, how much revenue they might hope to generate and I don't know how realistic they are um, in the near future. It would tend to depend massively on the adoption of the platform. It would depend massively on the willingness of commercial partners to really double down on this type of platform. So we'll, we'll see. Um, it is a bit juries out in that instance, but I didn't do too many juries out across the two tiers because I uh, wanted to be uh, a bit more forthright with my opinion and look at it more of where I see things today rather than getting a crystal ball out. So, I like this, the approach. I do have concerns about if they are going to generate the income they want from it. But as its value as a proposition to say the fo football community and ecosystem, I think it sits in a very good place for it. 
Well, I like the fact that it's at least going to be an ad-based model. I think they made the right decision in understanding that, you know, for anyone that's not familiar with FIFA Plus, you know, it's not going to have Champions League. It's not going to have Premier League. You know, it's not going to have these big uh, tier one rights. So I think avoiding the the SVOD model is the appropriate direction to go because I just don't believe you're going to get anybody to subscribe for those levels of rights. I think the reason I'm juries out is it's obviously a very hot time for football at the moment with the World Cup. So I'd like to see what happens once we get a bit of a cooling off period. And then I think my other thing that I just am concerned about is what how they're going to keep those rights long term. I'm still not 100% sure how they've acquired all of those rights to all of the matches that they're showing on those platforms out of market. So, you know, I would just be curious to see how they can maintain some of that on the platform long term. Yeah, I mean, I we obviously need to keep moving, but they did have so that I did bring that up when I spoke to Alessandro uh, Tucci from uh, CEO of 11 Sports about the relationship. And I think he said that those games are simulcast or live streamed on both the 11 sports.com platform and fifa plus i think that's what he said so i, I have to double check that so um yeah the, the length of those deals will be basically to be renegotiated i'd imagine at some time i remember hearing again the icc's finn bradshaw talk about the fact they had to negotiate with every cricketing nation individually to get them to agree to be on the icc the cricket platform so i imagine the prospect of having to long-term continue to negotiate with all these fed na- these nations is is a pretty massive task if you think about these what 200 nations that play football right so you, it's a lot of work to do so uh you want to basically at least have some proof of concept uh, or have a, an approach that doesn't need you to go back to that that sort of process every every couple of years yeah so two businesses or organizations i have in the like it column you've got split across mixed emotions and juries out um, I put both of them in the like it column and I'm referring to volleyball world and rugby pass because they're very similar models. They are originally governing bodies that have now decided the correct decision is to have a separate media business that all sits under one umbrella, but is operating under its own function. And I like that approach. I think it makes a ton of sense. And I know I just mentioned that I like that FIFA Plus is not going the subscription route. Both of these are subscription models. But I think one of the things is if you're a volleyball fan or you're a big rugby fan, if you're, it is enough for you to, to want to get in on this, similar to the way I'm willing to pay for the NFL pass, because I think those sports probably are niche enough. You know, niches get riches. We've talked about this a couple of times for people to go in on that. But you're, you're a little bit more maybe uh, bearish than I am. Yeah, the reason for volleyball, I, have, I think I might have touched upon it before, but my main concern with volleyball at the moment, and I think I understand the logic about why, but I don't like the approach selfishly, I suppose, is that most of their live matches are all behind the paywall, almost all of them. Um, and the reason they're doing that is they want to become a true hub for volleyball and they want people who are volleyball fans to su- subscribe to them. And if you think about the fact that in volleyball, there hasn't been a lot of opportunity for a place like this before, there's some things that are quite smart about that because it means, look, you've got no choice. So if you want to subscribe, you want to access volleyball, you have to subscribe to Volleyball World. It's black and white. It's that simple. It's your choice. Whereas in other markets where there's other offerings around other sports, you might get deterred to go, well, I can't sign up to, uh, I want to watch the Premier League. Uh, sorry, I want to watch my local league. Let's say I'm based in, I don't know, let's say France and Ligue 1. They're on, I think, on Amazon Prime or Prime Video. So I might subscribe to them 
but I also want to watch the I want to watch the the Premier League. Okay, well I have to subscribe to another platform, or how many times do I have to sort of keep subscribing to get access to the breadth of stuff that I want to access. Whereas here it is all in one destination. My point is basically, volleyball fans in most markets, not all, most don't have a choice. And sometimes that lack of choice means they're more likely to buy a subscription. And then maybe what they'll do is in the years to come, once they've sort of nailed down that that sort of more passionate fan base into their, their audience, then they might open up the doors to try and bring more casual fans into the volleyball world eco, ecosystem. My, my, my main view is, though, they should have that model now and, and make volleyball more accessible, more discoverable now, rather than have this, this sort of hard paywall approach. But again, I can understand why they're doing it because they've been so underserved that by putting up a paywall now, they're more likely to probably buy it now than than live off the the sort of more hybrid approach, which most other sports properties are going. I just don't think it's as good for volleyball as it is perhaps for volleyball world to get more subscribers of their platform and generate more revenue. We're allowed to be subjective with this list, Nick. That's okay. So we can <laughs> we can do that if we want to. Now, one of the ones I think some people are probably surprised by, or they were surprised by on the day we did this presentation, in our mixed emotions category, we both have the Premier League. So we're talking about, you know, the most profitable football soccer league in the world, um, you know, certainly getting coverage globally. You know, it's sort of the, what do they call it? The cream rises to the top. You know, it's the best of the best. The creme de la creme. Creme de la creme, yes. But you and I both have them in mixed emotions. Um, and this is one of the few ones that we agreed upon. You know, do, do I get to make my opening case? Do you want to go first? How do, how do we want to approach this? Why we're we're both sort of mixed on the Premier League? I would say as opposed to a creme brulee, like if you slam the door in the oven, right? Doesn't it collapse if you... Yeah. Anyway, I'll, I'll digress yeah. from the, cre- <laughs> the, cre- the creme analogies. Um, look, you go first because I, I talk way too much on this pod. So uh, you, you can take the, take the lead. <laughs> Uh, I will go back to the, the same point that I mentioned in Madrid, and it's the same thing I've tweeted about and I will continue to tweet about. I think it is asinine that 48% of all Premier League games in the UK will never be able to be viewed legally. And whether whether streaming D2C is the answer to that, I can't say with certainty. It's just crazy to me that a product like that is just the content will never be seen. And I think OTT could certainly play a part in solving that. And that's just, that's my biggest, you know, thing that just, it's crazy to me. Yeah. I mean, it it is crazy. It is absolutely bonkers. Um, Some of that though, is not under the Premier League's remit. You know, they've, they've had rules dictated to them. Could they get around them? Possibly in some instances around changing kickoff times, but um, you know, that they've taken an approach to be more of a, selling a license to their content rather than building it themselves, right? So they have no, next to no uh, owned and operated digital platform. You know, they, they have a, a Premier League channel on YouTube. They have uh, an app with, with content. They have a fantasy app, which is integrated into that, which is, which is great and that's fine for them. But the fact they, they create no media outlet or uh, media, media content or next to no media content absolutely surprises me. Like I think they're just so set up to be, building a bit like the NFL network or NFL media, which it doesn't just have to be the live matches, right? But create all this sort of shoulder content and extra programming that could be sold on and shared and accessed through all sorts of digital channels, um, whether it be their own or sell that on to broadcast partners to give them an extra breadth to their, to their portfolio. Um, I just think they've got the fact they've got, they've had so little investment into that space 
um, just baffles me. And I can, I can get why they haven't done it because I haven't needed to, you know, because the numbers for the media rights revenues have been growing from strength to strength and now international outweighs uh, domestic, which I'm not sure what other sports is in that sort of situation. So commercially, like I get it, but I think the fact they've left that at point zero or near point zero for so long, I feel I, I, I'm not sold on that as a model. Now, having said that, I know they brought in um, Alexandra Willis from from Wimbledon uh, to lead on their their sort of digital, uh, I think, direct-to-consumer approach as well. So it's clear that they, they understand that they're going to start building out something, uh, some sort of digital strategy there to sort of engage with audiences more more directly and more completely. But they are starting behind everyone. And did they need to wait? I don't think they did. You know, they're not, they should have been too afraid of doing something in this space to start getting some momentum. So that's why I'm not a, big, I'm not a big fan of. That being said, hard to argue when you generate billions and billions and billions of pounds of media rights revenues just for playing a game and not having to do much around it. Um, you know, I think Premier League's organisation is probably one of the – it'd be interesting to see if you compared the Premier League, the number of employees of the Premier League and the number of employees of, let's say, like the NFL – I could imagine the scale would be so different because they have not made that investment. Need to take an investment into the into the content part of the business. So anyway, do that's you, why I mark them down. I was just say, do you want to look up the Premier League while I look up the NFL? So we were doing it. Okay, it. I'll I'll look up the NFL. I mean, it'll be in a, it'll be LinkedIn stats, but we'll see uh, what the NFL says. How many people are employed? So well, uh, I've got it here. The Premier League has five hundred and thirty employees. All right. Well, LinkedIn, which I will admit isn't always the best because sometimes volunteers and things like that that aren't actually. Well, the NFL has got 4,200. So, yeah, it's a little bit different in scale. I don't know how many of those include leagues and or people that are in the teams. But, yeah, it's a it's quite a different number. Um, and how, and how many are content people and all those sorts of things. But yeah. I'm guessing a lot of them are. Yeah. Yeah. Well. I'm glad you did mention Alex Willis because we're obviously big fans of hers. And, you know, I think the Premier League probably won't find themselves in this category in 10 months time. We do it again. But certainly at the moment, there there is a lack of content available in that space. Well, one thing I would just add quickly, she, she won't have an easy job because one thing that's part of the Premier League is they I don't quite know the dy- dynamics of it, but they have to get all of the, the clubs engaged and involved. Um, so she will have to work very hard to to talk to those clubs and understand how they're going to, what their strategies are and how that can plug into what they're looking to do. And, and I think it's a very, it'll have to be a joint approach from the clubs. The clubs kind of are steering the Premier League. It's not the Premier League dictating down like the NFL does. It is a little bit of a different dynamic. So it won't be an easy job, but maybe a year, maybe a couple of years. I'm not sure how quickly they'll get moving, but it'd be fascinating to see where they take it because I, I think there's a, just an incredible opportunity there to create something that, will be a real destination for for fans to if they if they invest into it and double down on it. Yeah. Well, another football league that's now pretty much fully committed to streaming is the MLS. The only problem though, I guess maybe the MLS isn't actually losing any sleep over what you and I think, but you and I both have MLS underneath mixed emotions and you know, on the face of it, partnering with someone like Apple is incredible just given the size of Apple and all the different things that they can potentially do, but there's just a lot unknown at the moment you know there's not really a a case study to say that apple can actually do this i'd also argue that the money that's being paid out is 
more beneficial in Apple's favor. You know, I think the numbers are you have to pay $500 million to be a new franchise in the MLS, so not a small number. I believe it is $250 million a season. You know, $250 million a year doesn't feel like a massive number when it costs that much to actually get into the league. And yeah, it's just, there's, there's, I'm a little mixed. Well, yeah, the, the couple of things that we have talked about this deal before, but the couple of quick key things are the MLS has to do the production. So that means that they have to now, they before they did not. So the, the, the major broadcasters did the production. So that's going to cost them a significant investment to produce every single game of the MLS will be now the will now be the MLS's responsibility. So that's quite a big number. I don't know what the numbers would be like, but it'd be the tens of millions, right, to, to do that piece of work. Look, I think the, the the Apple deal and the MLS deal is another one of those instances where like the whole industry will be following it and watching it. If they get it to work, it will be huge. It's one of those big risk-reward moments, right? They get it right, could be an incredible reward for them. There's a couple of X factors to think about. You know, will Messi join? Will Ronaldo join in the future? Will some other players join still at the end of their careers but with enough of a global brand to give a bit of extra push bearing in mind that Apple has the global rights. So they can leverage that more than most if those athletes come to come to the table. So there's a lot to watch here. I think from Apple's lens, huge opportunity. But what happens if it doesn't work as much as Apple expects or hopes? What are they going to do? They've got a lot, they've got other priorities, right? <laughs> um, this isn't their bread and butter business. So are they going to give it 110% for the next 10 years, which is the length of the deal to make it work? I don't think so. If it doesn't work in the next year or two, they'll probably start to wind back their investment of time and effort and marketing power behind it and leave the MLS in a tough situation to, to go chasing the broadcasters if it doesn't. So the, the risk and reward on this deal is is just is just massive. Huge opportunity for MLS. If they get it right, it could be, a, could be an absolute home run. But if they get it wrong, it doesn't work to, as much as Apple or MLS hope. There is a risk that they have to walk back to some of the broadcasters with a tail between their legs. And that'll be a tough negotiation position to be in if it falls through. Yeah. And you just got to hope that maybe with the World Cup coming in 2026, um, there'll just be a little bit more momentum, a little bit of steam with that. But the USA's exit, you know, not to say it was unexpected, but, you know, there could have been more. But yeah, you know, hopefully 2026 will push them along. Yeah. And look, I, I, my, my other big question mark on this is how much is... ESPN or NBC and so forth, how much are they going to do to help grow the game of the of Major League Soccer or the league if they don't have any rights at all to, to play with? They're going to prioritize their other investments, right? Um, and that's the, that's the other bit here is like Apple, they can drive audiences in a different way because they own the hardware. So they can keep pushing people to Apple News and MLS's platforms through direct through the, the device, which is quite a unique proposition and an exciting one. But they can't just make sure on if you log on to ESPN today that MLS will be in the news and be covered. Just the stories behind the scenes that people want to hear about. You know, might be transfer deals and so forth. They won't might not get quite as much coverage as they would have if the deals existed with the MLS and, and so forth. So, sorry, with ESPN and so forth. So that's why I'm, I have bigger concerns on how this will play out. But again, it could be an absolute home run and we could sit here in a couple of years time and go, wow, what a move. But it's just, there's a lot of, there's a lot of risks here. So the last one, Nick, and really the reason I'm covering it is because I had two people come up to me after the session in Madrid and say, hey, I really wish you would have just gone in on these guys. But of course, you only get so much time on stage. You know, the one 
the one group that we are mutually sort of down on is Live Golf. Um, you know, even though we didn't talk about them on stage in Madrid, you know, is there anything you briefly want to talk about here in terms of just, obviously it's not been the success that, uh, they try to market internally, but we've also heard from people like Reese Beer at Facebook trying to tell us what they're doing isn't as uncommon, you know, paying for your own broadcast space and things like that. But they are someone we're mutually down on. We didn't get to talk about them on Madrid and the audience said we need to. So here's just to wrap it up, kind of give your piece on live golf. Yeah, so it's early days, right? It is early stage, and that is the reason I've got juries out. Now, the approach they've had up until this point, my, my concern is that if they were if they were expecting broadcasters to line up because they've got some of the biggest names and biggest athlete brands in the sport, that just hasn't happened for them. They haven't had the appetite that they were probably expecting. Now, year two, it could be a different ball game, but for now, they haven't. And the other factor I think they may not have counted or expected too much is the, the major players in, in sports broadcasting, most of them have a relationship with a PGA or another golf property. Uh, it could be the Ryder Cup as well, uh, or even the European Tour, DP World Tour. Um, will they jump out of their skin to go, therefore, buy rights to a league that might be competing with their other major investment in, in, in rights? doesn't make a lot of sense to do that, does it? Um, so I, I can't, I, I can see why it hasn't worked. I can see why they've got a lot of challenges. Uh, I'm also surprised they haven't launched a, a legitimate o, OCT offering yet. I think that'll come next year. I know a lot of it was thrown together pretty quickly from the people I've spoken to. So it wasn't easy for them. My, I am jury out on it a little bit. Um, I like the fact they've tried to double down on distributing it through through free um, you know, channels like YouTube and so forth and, and to see what that can bring to the table. Um, but I think they're years away from getting significant revenue from broadcast, years away. And if they, they just need reach at least at this stage. I've seen some reports. I think there's an article from the New York Times which digs into their financial projections and expectations they've got a big road to climb and broadcasting will have to be a core part of that and they ain't going to get there anytime soon um so unless they get i don't know unless they can get all the top players to give up on the pga tour and move across which is oh, yeah they they most of the major players that are with the pga tour now have really put their foot down or drawn a line in the sand um, I can't see how that is going to play out to their, their level and scale. So they've got some big challenges if they really are expecting some major broadcast revenue to come in in the near future. Three, four, five years time, it could well happen, but they've got a, a long road ahead. Well, I hope you all enjoyed our power rankings that we had there for our rights holders. We'll have another future episode coming out doing our power rankings um, involving the platforms, the broadcasters. So certainly keep an eye out for that one. Like I said, we will try to post the images alongside so that way you can see the full list. We weren't able to talk on everybody, but we at least wanted to go through, you know, the key ones from our love it, like it, mixed emotions and juries out list. Um, that way you guys can kind of compare and contrast, put that side by side. And the one thing we would absolutely say if you agree, or in particular, if you disagree with us on any of these, please let us know about it. LinkedIn, Twitter, send us an email. We would love to hear about it. Um, and, you know, we'll see where these lists look like in about 12 months time. 
Yeah, a bit of fun for us to, to do. Um, I'm glad we didn't go out with a full 90 because that would have been uh, a bit of overkill. But yeah, we'll, we'll no, I think we'll release those those uh, images at some stage and get people's taken. Yeah, please feel free to reach out and let us know what you think. Awesome. Thank you, everybody. Before you go, myself and Nick would just like to thank you for tuning into this episode of Streamtime. If you found the episode insightful, please make sure you like and subscribe on whichever platform you listen to. As a growing podcast, we'd greatly appreciate your support in sharing or writing a review. Ultimately, we want this podcast to not only entertain you, but also hopefully help you navigate the digital sports landscape. If you have any feedback on previous episodes or any topics and speakers you'd like to hear from in the future, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can find myself and Nick Meacham on LinkedIn or on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at SportsProChris1. Nick can be found at SportsProNick. Of course, if you want to stay fully up to date on the sports business news cycle, please make sure to visit the SportsPro Media website or sign up to one of our several newsletters to make sure you don't miss anything. Once again, thank you, and we look forward to you joining us next week on the Streamtime Podcast. Mm-hmm.